0: welcome to changeling cast the podcast dedicated to reading and dissecting urban fantasy paranormal and speculative romance series i'm your host mara from the youtube channel books like woe and this season we are making our way through nalini singh's side changeling series we made it guys we're here this is what I at least have been waiting for. I don't know if if y'all have been as excited for this as I have been, Um, but we are finally here. We are at Heart of Obsidian, which is the 12th book in the Changeling series, and it is also my favorite book in the series. I'm going to be honest with you guys, I'm feeling like nervous recording this because I already I just know that I'm not going to communicate what I love about this book as eloquently as I want to. I know I'm going to miss things that I love. Like I know, I just know that this is not going to be everything that I want it to be. And I want to communicate my love for this book to you guys. So so much like that's anyway, I'm feeling kind of like weirdly nervous slash like pre disappointed, which is a weird mindset to come into recording with. But we're just I'm going to have to just put that to the side. My Virgo moon is going to have to just acknowledge and accept that this is not going to be as perfect as I want it to be. I'm also going to remind myself, this is me like having therapy with you guys before we get started. Uh, I'm going to remind myself that I am going to do a bonus episode where I try to go through all but I know I'm still going to miss things. But most of the pre foreshadowing, of what happens in this book that we see in books one through 11 slash the novellas that fall in that time period, because that is a huge part of the delight that this book is for me, which is just that this is the culmination of so many things that the series has been building towards. So it's like not just the book itself, it's also what it means to the series as a whole that I love so so much. So, I guess without further ado, you guys, I'm so proud that I think I kept myself from even like f- really giving m- the hand away until the very end of the last episode. That book, 12 is Caleb Crychek's book. I have tr- I have edited, I have tried so assiduously to make sure that for those of you who are reading this for the first time, that I did not tip the hand that Caleb, who is not a good guy in a lot of ways, is one of the heroes of this story. And I, I feel proud of that. I also feel proud that I don't think I tipped the hand that he is... A certain someone, I guess I don't have to stop, I can stop building this up. I can just say it. Caleb is also the ghost. Okay, so I will be very curious to hear from people whether or not they guess that he was the ghost. So let me give you some context. <sighs> I like I don't even know where to this is gonna be a mess. This is just gonna be a squee cannon of delight, basically. So I hope you guys are okay with that. So um I remember when I came into Side Changeling, I was aware from like online discourse that the reveal of who the ghost is happened in this book and that it was like a big dun dun dum moment. Because when I started the series, the 14th book had just come out. So it was no longer unknown who the ghost was. But from reading, like from being in sort of the online you know, romance space or like bookish space, I was aware that people had been waiting for this reveal for, you know, like 10 years or whatever it was. And everybody had all these different theories and that it was like a really exciting, fun reveal. So knowing that it was a reveal, I think, helped me find clues as to who the ghost was better than I maybe would have if I didn't know for sure that we were going to find out who the ghost was, and that it was like, you know, a big thing. So I remember when I was first reading the series, I was pretty sure that it was either Caleb or Vasek, just because it seemed like the ghost was very powerful and could teleport. Like that was kind of what I had inferred. And I think I was leaning towards it being Vasic, and I thought that the big like dun 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 moment is that he's like kind of playing a deep game from like an arrow perspective. And I, but I knew it was either him or Caleb. Or my third theory was that it could be just somebody who we don't even really know about like, or that has been kind of mentioned as like a side character. And then all of a sudden we find out that they're the ghost because, you know, Nalini does, she like, this is the shit she pulls off. She's like, Oh, Hey, I'm going to mention Sahara as a throwaway in book two. And then 10 books later, she's gonna be like this amazing heroine that you love. So she does that. So I also was open to the idea of like, maybe this is somebody who like got mentioned as like, so and so was like, also at this meeting, and it turns out that they're the ghost. But so when it when I found out it was Caleb, it did align with some of like the things that I had been suspecting. But I wonder, like, I can never really know if I would have suspected it had I not heard that he like whoever the hero was in book 12 was the ghost. So I don't know. Like, it's hard for me to say, kind of, I can't really do that counterfactual because it just was what it was. So like, we have this huge buildup of the ghost slash like, the fact that it's Caleb, who is the hero of this book is just such a fucking uno reverse. Because what we know about Caleb is that he is a shifty motherfucker. Sorry, I'm going to swear a lot in this because I'm excited. Uh, He's a shifty motherfucker. He is powerful AF. He possibly is a serial killer because he was Enrique's protege. And like, how is he gonna have a romance? Like, how is this gonna happen? And Malini Singh sells the shit out of this. And if you can't tell, I'm grinning ear to ear right now. When I was doing this reread, I was grinning the entire time. I was just so happy. Like the whole time I was reading this, I was just happy. This is one of those books that I... So do you guys have favorite books that you don't really let yourself reread that often? Because you don't want to like... Over I don't know, this is a book I have not I've only read this book twice actually. This is my third time reading it, and I have reread some of the sexy scenes a few times because they are very sexy. Um and when I was trying to like compare it to something, I went back and read that and was like, yes, that was as sexy as I remembered. But um anyway, I hadn't and I guess I'd read well, I say that. I'd also read a couple of other gone back and reread a couple of other like memorable moments um from this book, but All that to say, I have not reread this book all that much. So rereading it this time was actually quite revelatory, because I didn't remember a lot of the like nuances of how the plot unfolded. And so rereading it with like this recent, more analytical deep dive that I've been doing for the last however many months, and then coming to this book, and trying to, like, reread it somewhat analytically, but then also not being able to help the fact that I just have this like, gut level joyous response to this book. Um It was an interesting experience. So like, I definitely picked up on so many things that I didn't remember happened in this book. And I also just, I have, I don't know, I have some thoughts about like, why is this a book that I just love so much? Like, I don't know, okay, we'll get into it. I'm gonna do I don't think I'm gonna do like the full plot detailed recap because honestly, this book is not as much about plot as I'd remembered it being. Um, it definitely like don't get me wrong, like it definitely has a lot of plot action happening in it, but this is really just like an intense character moment with Sahara and Caleb. So if you will remember. Caleb has been looking for something for pretty much the whole time we've been in his POV. And at the end of the 11th book, he finds whatever it is he's been looking for. And what he's been looking for is Sahara Nightstar. Now, who is Sahara Nightstar? Well, if you'll cast your mind back all the way to book two, we get an illusion in the second book to the fact that Faith Nightstar, the protagonist of book two, she is, you know, a well-loved, known character at this point in the series, had a cousin named Sahara who went missing a long time ago. Well, maybe not a long time ago, but several years ago. Uh, That we get just an illusion that there is a Nightstar clan member who went missing. And that is kind of paralleled to the fact that Faith has a sister who was just murdered. So she's kind of processing that as a part of loss. Well, Sahara Nightstar has been found and it's because Caleb has been looking for her and he has found her and her mind is broken. But what like, sorry, I'm just so excited. I, I feel like this is not going to be very fun for you guys to listen to. It's just going to be very fun for me to to make. So I, I guess we'll just lean into this vibe. Um, why has Caleb been looking for Sahara Nightstar? Oh, because Sahara Nightstar is the only human he has ever loved. Because when he was, I guess he was probably 15, and she was nine, I want to say, or maybe, maybe she was like seven or eight, and he was like 13 or 14. That sounds right. I forget the exact ages. He's about he's six years older than her. But around that age, he went with Enrique Enrique Santano, who is just like, I feel like I call him Ming fucking Laban. I feel like I really should save that energy for Enrique, because he is honestly the biggest piece of shit of all of these counselors that we encounter. But like, for I think because Ming and like, the Sienna of it all, he really pisses me off. But anyway, so Enrique had as his protege, Caleb Krychuk. And he had him like with him all the time. Uh, And when I say all the time, we find out that Enrique was like taking Caleb with him to torture and like serial murder people. And he had Caleb with him that day when he went to the Nightstar clan because he wanted something from Anthony um, Kirakis. And he so he was there and Anthony was like, I don't do business in front of children, (laughs) like period, which is I mean, a good indicator that Anthony is Good people, but whatever. So he sends. He's like, I, I'm not going to talk to you with Caleb sitting right here. He's a child, and so he he has Sahara take Caleb to um, go look around. And we get flashbacks from both of their points of view. But basically, Caleb immediately is like, "This little girl is the first person who has noticed that I am being hurt because." Enrique been is like a child abuser. Of course he is on top of being a serial murderer and like a psychic rapist. He's also a child abuser and he had like beaten the shit out of Caleb and Sahara was worried about him and was like trying to take him to the med bay. And he's like, Hey, this is the first time anybody has cared about me. I like that. I like this person. And so from there becomes this clandestine friendship and it definitely, it starts as friendship. They're both children. And, um, they like he comes and helps her like he he sneaks away from Enrique and he'll like come and help her with math. And she is taking dance classes because it's like supposed to be good for I don't know, like flexibility or whatever, whatever cold sigh reason, they're letting her have dance classes. She she is having dance classes. So she'll dance for him. He like uses his TK to like let her fly and she laughs. And they like, our friends and he he knows that she is not silent but he doesn't tell anyone and she knows that he's being abused but she knows that she can't tell anyone because if she does he'll be hurt even more and so like they have this beautiful secret relationship and then as she hits her teenage years she obviously like develops feelings for something more and so when she's 16 she kisses him and he kisses her back he now we should acknowledge she's 16 he's 22 kind of creepy but I think everybody in the situation is being abused basically so like let's give them a little bit of leeway here um anyway so she's like hey I know I'm underage but when I turn 18 or wait no I think she has to be 21 okay yeah when I turn 21 we'll sign like a um like a pregnancy pack, whatever it is, like a fertilization, egg fertilization contract. I forget whatever sterile term they use in the sign ed. We'll sign that. And then we'll say that we're going to co-parent so we can live together. And he's like, yes, immediately. He's like, yes, this is exactly what we're going to do. And she's like, b- basically saying, I know that we can't be together right now because I'm technically still a kid. And you also have your whole like serial murder, pr- like mentor situation going on. But as soon as that's not the case anymore, we're going to be together. Then something awful happens, which we get revealed at the very end of the book. So I guess I'll come back to that. But so basically they are something terrible happens. And Sahara ends up in the clutches of Tatiana Rilke Smith. And she is the one who's been hiding Sahara. And the reason why she wants her is because Sahara has an interesting designation that nobody else in the Signet has. She, well, first of all, she has backsight. So you know that the night stars have the ability to have foresight so they can see the future. But then there's also a sub designation called Backsight. It's sort of like the J. but it's a little bit different because it's not like it manifests slightly differently. It's not necessarily always correlated to a crime etc. So like, it's a slightly different version. Basically, it's somewhere between an F psi and a J psi. Like that's Sahara's main designation. But she also has this ability that if she touches someone, she can essentially take them over and they will basically be like a puppet. This reminds me, and, and Harry Potter doesn't, there's one of the three forbidden curses that's basically this. It's the same idea where, um, so like she could touch, I don't know, ming Le bon. She could take his mind over. He would still be a counselor, but she would be the one in control of him. And so she could basically like rule the entire signet if she was able to get that going. So that's why Tatiana has her because she wants... To control Sahara enough that she can use Sahara's abilities for herself, but Sahara, as a sixteen-year-old, you know she's still growing in her abilities, and she's you know not fully able to resist. Like Tatiana is basically able to trap her mind um, because, like, I think the one weakness Sahara has is that if somebody puts a shell around her own mind, she can't really get out of it. So it's sort of like the back, it's like the reverse of her power. So Tatiana knows this, and she's able to like put her into a, sh- a shield around her mind that she can't get out of. So as a defense mechanism, what Sahara does is she basically creates, Nalini Singh describes it as like a labyrinth in her mind, where all the walls are constantly changing. So like every few minutes, the walls of this labyrinth move And so nobody can ever fully get into her mind. But she can also not get fully out of it. However, she did put sort of like a key to this in her mind. And that key, because she was an emotional 16 year old, was basically like, when Caleb has you back, and like you realize it's Caleb, you will be able to get out of this labyrinth. So anyway, so Caleb finds the so that's all the backstory. Caleb finds her at the beginning of this book and brings her to his house. Well, I say his house, it's actually her house, whatever. Um, We'll get there. So he brings her back to the house in Moscow, and she is completely um, non-respondent in terms of like having any kind of her own personality. She's sort of like completely retreated into herself and is almost like feral, I guess would probably be the right adjective here. She won't wash. She is completely suspicious. So like she breaks this mirror in the room that he puts her in because um, she thinks that there's a two-way mirror there. She wants to take the light um, out or she wants to take the smoke detector out because she thinks there's a camera in it. The cell she was in had lights on 24 hours a day. Like they were torture. I mean, they were like mentally torturing her. This was like Guantanamo Bay, basically. And so anyway, so a lot of the beginning part is like, Her just like getting to a base level of not being in sort of like uber regressed protective mode. So that's like the first chunk of the story is her like kind of starting to relax. And eventually her mind does unlock because she trusts Caleb. But she knows she shouldn't trust Caleb based on what she knows about him from the net because she doesn't really have all of her memories back a lot of this book is Caleb taking care of her and her instinctively trusting him, but consciously being like, why do I trust him? I know he's bad. And so it's like her over time recovering her memory of who they were and what they were together. So, um, that, which is wonderful. Eventually she wants to go back and let the night stars know that she's okay. She goes back and her dad is basically like not really silent. (laughs) Basically what we learn is that no, like it seems like a lot of people in the Nightstar clan were never fully silent, but like they all love each other and protect each other, which is like so sweet. Anyway, her dad Leon is an MSI and he has like never stopped looking for her. Caleb has been aware that he was looking for her. And so, um, you know, Sahara, once she kind of has some of her memory back, wants to go to see her dad again. Um, So they go, she does go back, she does see her dad, there is an attack, um, an attempted, you know, abduction again of Sahara, her dad is uh, grievously injured, but he does survive, but they decide that she is going to go stay with Faith and Vaughn for her own protection. But obviously she gets like her own little area. It's very cute. Faith is also so excited to see her. And like they have this beautiful, like revived family connection. So like part of what the beginning parts of this book are is Sahara having this new sense of having family beyond just Caleb. So like she's reconnecting with her dad and her uncle Anthony. She's connecting with Faith. She's she's basically realizing that she has a family beyond just Caleb, Um, and and like has people who she's safe with beyond just Caleb, but it's part of the journey of this book is that like, she's choosing him. Um, but anyway, so like he, he teleports and sees her like almost every night, uh, their bond is growing. She's remembering more and more and remembering more and more what they are to each other. Also early in this book, Caleb, (laughs) Caleb realizes that she, uh, is checking him out a lot. And so he is like, very calculatedly, like in his POV, he's like, we need to have sex so that she will bond to me. Like, it's not, I mean, he doesn't have the language because of his silence to real, like to acknowledge, like, I also want to have sex with her. But in his mind, in his POV, he's very much like, I need to go back out there shirtless, because she liked me shirtless. And once we have sex, we will be bonded because I have seen this in, you know, changelings and humans, they have like this emotional bond. And his whole thing is like, you are mine. Like, I will never let you go. But he says that and then he does let her go. So it's like, I'm okay with it because he proves over and over again that like he wants to do what's best for her. If she really wanted to leave, he says he wouldn't let her. But like, I don't believe that um, based on the fact that he consistently lets her leave when she (laughs) when she wants to go. Um, So anyway, they're slowly ramping up to more and more of a sexual connection. At about the 50% mark, they uh, do have sex and it is sexy AF. Um, because he has a very similar situation as Judd did in the third book, where if you'll recall, Judd had to like siphon off his TK energy elsewhere, because like sex just like was too much for him to handle. Caleb has the same situation, he causes several minor earthquakes, in the the Moscow er- Greater Area, when he's getting it on with Sahara, so like they they end up having a sexual relationship, and she finally is really remembering um, who he who he was to her and really wanting to have a connection with him, like a long term permanent relationship, like he's he's the one for her. She's remembering more and more of what Enrique did to him. And Caleb discloses more and more of that, of the fact that basically Enrique was like, he was a fucking child abuser. And he was taking like he wanted Caleb to be his, like successor and his little lackey. And we find out that Enrique like had this little like window into Caleb's mind that he would use to control him or he would use to like, make him forget things or to cause pain if he tried to do things. Like we find out more and more just that a lot of who Caleb was, or like was meant to be, it's he was a child and like Enrique was doing this to him. And the whole book we have this like, he is so afraid that she is going to remember what happened and that she's going to try to leave him when she remembers this. This is part of why he wants to have sex with her so that they can be fully bonded before she remembers this. And um, basically what we come to find out, like kind of the big final remembrance and reveal is that Enrique knew that he was going to see Sahara the whole time. And he basically decided that at some point It was too much like he wanted it to be there basically to toy with Caleb. Um, And so eventually he decides like, well, that's enough of that. And he finds out from that window into Caleb's mind what Sahara can do. Um, And so he wants that power for himself. And so he essentially kidnaps Sahara and takes Caleb too, and takes takes them to a motel. And he starts torturing Sahara the way that he tortured all of those other changeling women that we found out about in the early books. Uh, I should say this book gets pretty intense in terms of some of the descriptions of that. So like if that's not your deal, fair enough. Um, and he tries to get Caleb to torture her as well. And like Caleb is literally like, bleeding like they he like gets a scar from where he's like on this radiator trying to like resist and eventually he's able to throw off um Enrique enough that he's like makes Enrique stop but then Enrique recovers enough that he takes Sahara and gives her to Tatiana um and basically tells Caleb he'll never see her again. The really sick part of this is that the whole time... Ugh, this kills me. The whole time Caleb thought... That he was doing, like, he was the one torturing Sahara, and that's why she would never be able to forgive him. But then when Sahara remembers, she's able to tell him, No, you were, you like literally suffered to make sure that you wouldn't be the one to do this. But even if you had, you were not doing it of your own volition. This was Enrique's fault, but you never actually did this. And we find out that Enrique had changed Caleb's memories to make him think that he hurt Sahara, and that's why he was so tortured by it. Ah, oh, it killed me. Um, So that's like, you know, finally they remember that. And like, now they're going to be together. And basically this is like the epitome of morality chain because Caleb is like, whatever you want to do, like, that's what we're going to do. Like, I don't care about the signet, but you're in the signet. So like, I guess we got to save it for you. Like at literally everything Caleb has done has been to get to a place where he was powerful enough to protect Sahara, no matter who came after her in the future and everything going forward will be based on what Sahara wants him to do. He basically says like, look, when you went away, I did shit that I know you would not like, but I did it. And I would do it again because I was becoming a person who could keep you safe And her whole thing, basically, like, what they agree is that she is going to be his conscience. He's like, I think that part of me is kind of broken, except for when it comes to you. So, like, you're going to have to keep me on the straight and narrow. And whatever you want to do is what we will do. Also, we should mention, both of them are aware that at any point, she could seize control of his mind and just, like, make him a puppet. So she's also sort of, like, power-wise a countervailing force to him in terms of, like, she could do that. And he basically says, like, if you did that, I wouldn't stop you. Like he's, he's, he has no defenses against her. Therefore, she is sort of like the fail safe to keep Caleb Krychak on the straight and narrow because we also find in this book, now that I've been spent the entire, like so much of this just gushing about their relationship, I just, I love it all. And that's, I think a lot of what this book is, is, is a, this is a very relationship heavy book. There are major macro plot things happening. One more thing I do need to mention. I just realized I hadn't, or I guess two things I should talk about. One of which can segue us into macro plot. Um, We also find out that Caleb's biological father is Enrique. Basically Enrique um, created Caleb. Like he, he like, he's, he like genetically engineered him to be a dual uh, cardinal or to be like a strong cardinal. And it turned out that Caleb is a dual cardinal. So he is a dual telepath and telekinetic cardinal, and he is like a pure tele, like teleporter. So it takes zero energy for him to do that. Um, we find out that he basically what he, he knew that there would be a stigma of him doing what he was doing to Caleb if he if people knew that he was his own child, because I have this very strong sense of like, family loyalty and like gene, like preserving your genetic le- legacy. So it would be frowned upon if people suspected he was abusing his own child. But if it was in the context of essentially training someone else's, that's like not as much of a taboo. Love that for the side. Don't we love that nuance? Hey, yeah. Um, so that is why he made it look like he was the child of these other two Sai who had like recessive genes that theoretically could have produced what Caleb was. And then he basically bought them off. Like, so Caleb always thought before he found out that Enrique was his actual dad, he thought that his parents literally just sort of sold him to Enrique. So, you know, that messed him up. Uh, but it turns out that basically these were not ever his biological parents and Enrique later, later had them killed. So love that also. Um, so that I think is a tragic detail that is very uh, moving and heart wrenching, at least for me, because I love Caleb so much. And then we do finally find out at the seventy percent mark of this book that he is the ghost, and he has going back to our theme of playing. He plays a game with Sahara, and she is very delighted when she realizes that he's been playing with her. Where basically she's like, "Okay, you need to not kill the ghost." and he's like, "Well, I think it's time for the ghost to go away." Like, "Don't worry. I mean, I'm she's like, "Basically, if you kill him publicly, it's going to make people go against you." He's like, "Oh, no, we're not going to do that." Like, he'll just kind of silently disappear. Um, and she they they kind of go <laughs> back and forth, and eventually she's like, "Wait, wait, wait. You're the ghost." And he's like, "Yeah, of course I'm the ghost. <laughs> like, do you think I would let someone that powerful live if it wasn't me?" Like, duh. And it's a very cute little moment and she is, she is delighted. I was delighted that Caleb has like unclenched enough uh, to play a little game with her of, of like leading, leading her on. Um, but so she's sitting there like advocating, like you can't kill this person. And it turns, it turns out it's him. So getting into the macro plot of it all, really what this book is, is the last kind of gasps of pure sigh, um, trying to take control, take control of the Sinet. Basically, we have like an all out war in the Sinet at this point. Um, so Henry Scott was killed. Well, we knew he was wounded in book 10. We knew that Sienna had like mortally wounded him. But he was hanging in there. He actually dies in book 11 at the very end. So Pure Psy no longer has like an actual like full leader, but they still have their power, like their general who is uh, Andres Vasquez, I think is his name. And so he is still leading these different initiatives um, of like, basically killing large swaths of people in different areas um, of uh, like major, major uh, targets, and some of them are like, specifically with students. Some of them are specifically sign sign, heavily sign populated areas. And what happens is that every time he does this, Caleb ends up have like Caleb is usually one of the only people who can do anything. So Caleb and the arrows led by Aiden and Vasic, end up going out and like, saving the day kind of a thing. And so Caleb is getting this reputation of like being the one who gets to sort of like be the hero on TV, even though, I mean, he only cares about it insofar as it's like a PR thing, but, um, And he doesn't want the whole Psy net to collapse because Sahara. So that's why he's doing it. But he's getting all this good PR, which leads some people, including Sahara for a little while to suspect that maybe he's actually running pure uh, Psy and that this is like them essentially like, in the Incredibles when that guy like causes the robot to destroy things so that he can come in and save everyone. People think that that's what Caleb might be doing. Um, But pretty quickly, like, oh, not quickly, but like by the midpoint of the book, he issues like a, a decree basically being like, if you know anything about Pure Psy, like turn them over, they will be executed on site. Like he makes it, eventually he makes it clear that he is not their leader. They make a few overtures to try to um, To get him to be their lead because Andreas Vasquez, like he knows that he's not really a leader; he's a general. Like he's not. Or let's put it this way: he's like the the arm. He is the arm of the will of a mind that is calling the shots. That's how he sees himself. He literally goes and like talks to Henry Scott's grave in a creepy way. He seems like a totally normal. Sane dude, glad that he thinks that everybody else is the problem. Whatever. Uh, So anyway, there's all these different attacks. Caleb um, has like these big moments of uh, of helping, you know, stop the attacks or stop the bleeding. We also find out in this book that he, um, when when he was a kid, saved um, somebody from a bullet train. crash, which if you will remember, that was Annie from one of the early novellas. Sorry, I should save some of that for um, I should save that for the bonus episode. But there's a ton of moments like that. Anyway, he is he's is not um, unfamiliar with how to kind of like get people out of uh, collapsed buildings, etc. So he spends a lot of this book kind of rushing off to do that. And basically, by the end of this book, there's like all these different sort of like battles with that. By the end of the book, um, he has uh, gotten the remaining powerful people in the net to agree that silence has to fall. And so there is a um, edict that goes out across the synet where he basically says like silence is over. It will no longer be enforced. Like people can still be silent if that is best for them, but they don't, there's not going to be any like widespread enforcement of it. So like by the end of the book, that's kind of where things have left off is like, okay, theoretically silence is over. um, But like, what does that mean? Because they've been silent for the last hundred years. Like we still, he, Caleb is basically in control of the signet because everybody kind of acknowledges that he is the most powerful person. And so he's really kind of the only person who can be in charge of the signet. But like, it's not going to be in the same way that the council was. We don't really know what that's going to look like. He has several meetings with Aiden and Vasek. And um, they, well, first of all, they talk about killing Ming Lebon, who shows up, by the way, Ming, Ming fucking Lebon. He, we're pretty sure, we find out in this book that he almost certainly is the one who's been supplying Pure Psy. Um, And then he also attempts to assassinate Caleb in this, like a pussy ass bitch that he is. Ugh, I don't. I don't quite know why I hate Ming Lebon so much, but I really do. Uh, anyway, so he he's been supplying Pure Sai Also, he gave them this weapon that he thought they were going to use in one way, but they ended up using it much in a much more broad sense. And basically, he gave it to them so that he and his little cadre of TKs could show up and be the heroes the way that Caleb has been being, but they used it in a bigger way. He couldn't do that. And so Caleb ended up still being the one everybody saw saving people. So that backfired on him. Tough titties for you, Minglabon. Um, but anyway, so there's a discussion w- between Caleb and the arrows as to if they need to kill Minglabon or like if they can go ahead and kill the- kill him. It is agreed that it would be he has too many sort of like tendrils throughout the Synet for them to safely kill him because he likely would just like cause a collapse, possibly. It would be too much of a shock. That is not true, however, of Tatiana Rilke Smith. So uh, one thing I have not talked about is the fact that uh, Caleb quickly captures Tatiana Rilke Smith um, and tortures her, basically. I mean, he doesn't do it as hardcore as she did to, to Sahara. And he does say that he's going to, you know, only do it for the seven years that she did it to Sahara. And Sahara won't let him like do the full on version that he wants to do, but he basically puts her in a bunker and she's never going to be able to leave. Um, it's pretty intense. a Reminder that Caleb is not really a good guy uh, and was raised by a serial murderer, but he does get basically he tells her like, Hey, you did this to yourself. Nobody's going to notice that you're gone because you already like don't have a big presence in the signet. So everybody's going to think you're just holed up in a bunker somewhere and you are, except that I'm the one in control of this bunker and you can't get out. So that's where we are with Tatiana, just thinking through the counselor. So Tatiana is in a bunker. Ming Le bon is still out and about, but like his days are numbered for sure. We've got Anthony and Nikita are still like they're they're pretty much aligned with Caleb at this point, like they see the writing on the wall, their their goal is to survive and like ride, like, they want silence to fall. Nikita, for business reasons, slash for Sasha. Anthony, for business reasons. Well, like for like protecting his clan reasons. Um, So like they're supporting Caleb. I forget what's going on with Shoshana. I don't think we've heard from her in a while. And then Henry Scott died at the end of of book 11. So that's where like all the different counselors are. Um, Like I mentioned, we do see a a good bit of the Dark River pack because we go... um, and that's where Sasha is staying for a good chunk of the book. So we get some time with them. Um, we also we do get this sweet, like we find out that Judd really cares about Caleb. Like he, it's very sweet. Like <laughs> They have this bond. And Caleb realizes in this book that Judd thinks of him as a friend. And, uh, and he basically they, they have this open discussion of, like, Judd having these moments of thinking maybe he's going to have to kill Caleb, and he really doesn't want to do that. And Caleb being very surprised to realize, like, oh, he, like... He doesn't want to kill me because he he cares about me he's my friend and he's like i didn't think he was my friend but sahara says he's my friend <laughs> it's very sweet i thought that was adorable also um he's friends with like father xavier so like that whole little like the ghost father xavier Judd. that's been caleb Judd and father xavier also um father xavier is gonna go find his lady who he thought was dead Um, down in South America. And we find out that both Judd and Caleb have gone to like check on her, which I thought was just sweet. So like, I don't know. There's like a nice little, little dynamic there. Uh, We also find out that the arrows have been thinking about the fact that they may have to kill Caleb. But again, like what we've discovered pretty much what we were finding out throughout this is that there's all these people who are like, maybe I'm going to have to kill Caleb. I don't know if I can. And pretty much probably nobody can except for Sahara. Uh, Caleb is more powerful than he's really led on to pretty much anyone. And this is the book where he fully like lets people understand just how powerful he is. So yeah, I think that's most of what we needed to talk about in terms of like what happens in this book. In terms of why do I love this book? I, there is something about the dynamic of this man who is so powerful, like he's the most powerful person in this world, basically. Well, actually, no way. We do get him explicitly acknowledging that these, probably the second most powerful and somebody who maybe might be as powerful as him is Sienna. Um, and he did seriously consider killing her, but he realized that she just doesn't want the same things he wants. So like, why would he do that? And because he cares about Judd. He knows that that would make Judd sad. So, Anyway, we do find out pretty explicitly from him, though, that basically Sienna is the second most powerful person in the world. Um, But Caleb is the most powerful person in the world. And like, literally all, like every action he takes is motivated to like loving and taking care of Sahara. I don't know what that says about my id, but that just like speaks to my id. (laughs) But it really does. This is one of the most pure morality chain books I've ever read. And I do really like a morality chain trope, especially one like this, where I like am fully bought into the stakes of what so morality chain basically is um, one partner is a bad person, but they are not going to do bad things because the other person that they love doesn't want them to do it. So like, basically, the only thing between that person fully unleashing their terribleness is the love of this person. And we get this in a lot of paranormal romances. And it works for me. I don't know why I do think it's kind of a variant on a Beauty and the Beast type trope, which I love. Um, And basically like Sahara. Yeah, I mean, it is, I guess, kind of that because it may not be external beastliness, but it's definitely internal beastliness. And how like, what the other the partner can see that good part of them, even if they can't see it themselves. Um, So I think that's a big part of it is that I do just really like that dynamic. And I think just like how intense Caleb is. It is. um, It doesn't work for me in a lot of books. Like I think this is like one of those opportunities where I get to like vicariously enjoy sort of like an alpha hole because he's he's an alpha hole, but he's like, absolute putty for the person he loves. So he's like a protective alpha. I know people love that trope in general. And like, it is hard for me to get on board with like the gender politics that are often entrenched in that overall situation. And like, this is a book where there's none of that. Because a you just see from his point of view how purely he's just like, no, like my job is to like, protect and honor you, my queen. But also because we know that she is very powerful, that she could stop him with her own power if she decided to do that. Uh, and pretty much we also find out throughout this book that almost no one else can. Like there's a couple people who might like, maybe vasik could get to him quick enough to get a killing shot into him. Maybe Maybe Judd could catch him unawares and do that. Like, maybe, but mm, it's hard to say. Sienna, or sorry, Sahara actually could kill him. So I think that that whole dynamic just works perfectly in this book for me, better than any other book of its kind that I've read. The relationship moments of this just, like, I can't really quantify it, but it just hits the spot for me. I love the dynamic of Sahara and Caleb that she like brings out, basically, she represents to him who he could have been if he had not been abused. And I think what she sees is that even though you have been abused, you are still that person to me. And so like the dynamic of them like showing each other what they see in each other is so beautiful. And I just love it so much. I will tell you that upon rereading this, I, it used to be that when people said like, yeah, I really liked Heart of Obsidian. It's not my favorite in the series. But yeah, I totally get why you really love that one. I would kind of be like, how do you not love that? Like, in my heart, I was like, how do you how is this not your favorite? I don't understand. Upon rereading, I am going to say, I don't think that this is the best individual book in the series. Like I, if I'm being brutally honest, I do think that as a standalone book, Probably Slave to Sensation and Kiss of Snow are better books. That's hard for me to say, but I I can acknowledge that probably that's true. And I think that it's probably about as good of a standalone book as Caressed by Ice. However, two things. One, I think just the fact that like what this the, the place that this book has in the series and what it represents about the series, which is just for me at least. This wholly successful one-two punch of holy shit, Caleb is gonna be a hero, and holy shit, Caleb has been the ghost the whole time. I think that is just uber satisfying to me. And then I just like am trash for this romance trope and the way that they're the relationship between Sahara and Caleb unfold. Literally, I was just grinning the entire time I read this book when I wasn't crying because also the feelings. I just, like, I cannot explain it other than this is just like speaking to my id at the most primal level. So I just, I love this, even though it was interesting this time for me to read it and acknowledge that I think, kind of like taking that out of the equation, I can see why people wouldn't pick this as their favorite. Which, before, if I'm being honest in my heart, I was always like, you're just wrong. Like, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why this isn't your favorite. But now I think now I have a little bit more um, perspective as to that fact. Okay, in terms of ratings, so I'm not I'm not getting in, into any of the buildup and like all of the payoffs in this book, because I'm like I said, I'm gonna do a whole other bonus episode, I need to do some research. So like, I'm not totally sure exactly when that's going to come out. Because I need to go back and like compile and essentially like make a master list of all of the notes that I've taken over the, all the previous books. So I'm not totally sure when that's going to come out. But eventually you will get a bonus episode of me explaining exactly how brilliant the payoff of this particular plot element is. Um, but in terms of ratings, okay, cozy community vibes, I'm gonna say, uh, we'll, we'll call this a six out of 10. uh Cousins reuniting in the warm bosom of the pack, um, because, well, I it's hard. I think this is. I'm gonna call this a seven. Let me call this a seven because I do think that we are getting the seeds of having some of the cozy community vibes that the changelings have in the Psy characters and in their dynamics. Um, basically, the arrows and their journey is going to become and like, and also just the overall community that's going to form around this new power dynamic in the Psy. We are getting seeds of how we're going to have some of those cozy community vibes with Psy characters, because I do think we have some very, um, intense connections that we're seeing with Aiden and, and Vasic in particular. So I think that works. I do think that the the friendship vibe between Caleb and Judd is really sweet. I always love spending time with um, Faith and Mercy and like the Dark River Packs, so, like we get some good moments there. I think we got some... Um, some communal vibes with uh, Sahara and her dad, and with the Star Clan. So, like, I think if you put all of that together, there are a lot of lovely sort of like inner character moments, um, and I think we see the beginnings of where we're going to have more cozy community vibes from side characters in the future. So, we'll we'll give it a seven. Um, in terms of political machinations, I mean. I'm not sure how many, how much machin. I guess there's some machinations. But in terms of like, overall major plot points, I mean, I'm going to call this nine out of 10 silence has fallen because like, there is a huge moment of Oh, and you know, he's ta- he takes out Tatiana means days are numbered. Henry's gone. I don't even know where Shoshana is like, yeah, I do think that we have some big kind of political moments. Um, In terms of sexy times. I'm gonna call this ten out of ten uh, intense uh, dudes losing their virginities. So I've got to read you like <laughs> this is this the sex in this one is in my opinion the best in the series because I just buy their connection and I love the element of Caleb being like I am researching how to have sex because like I am going to create this connection with you because it is a part of my overall dastardly plan. Like it, I just, I loved that. Um, and I feel like I need to read some of the like scene from when they finally get it on to explain how intense and awesome this is. Okay, so this is from when they're they're finally getting it on. I'll keep my hands to myself, she promised, voice rough, but you can't look at me like that. Gripping her jaw in silent answer, he braced himself with his free arm beside her head. And then he branded her mouth with with his own. You are mine. It was a statement telepathed along the private pathway that had formed years ago. Mine to touch, mine to look at, mine. Releasing her jaw, he stroked his hand down to her throat to close over her breast. Sahara shuddered. So like, he's, he's not fucking around. He's fucking her, but he's not fucking around. Um, And that's like the overall vibe. And then also just like how he like detachedly describes like, possible sexy things they can do from his research. Like he shows her, he shows her porn to show her, show her like, these are the positions I've been researching. But then, okay. So at one point he says, uh, so she basically wakes up from like a orgasm coma. um, And he, and she doesn't have her, um, her top on. So he like is moving that back into place. And he like grazes her nipple in the course of doing that. Um, And then he says teeth, he said in the same frigid tone she'd heard earlier. Are not always used in sexual play. Sahara's chest rose and fell in shallow rhythm. No. It is a matter of preference. According to the papers I've read on intimacy, lashes rising, obsidian eyes looking down into her own. The black fire in them is hot as he, his voice was cold. What is your preference? <laughs> yes. The confession felt as intimate as what he had just done to her body. With you. His expression altered to a hardness that made it clear who and what he was. His arms coming down on either side of her as he lowered his face until their breaths kissed it will, he said in a silken whisper, only ever be with me. So um, if that's a vibe that you can get on board with that, it doesn't, I think part of my joy in this maybe is that so often that vibe does not work for me in books. But in this one, because of like the overall world building and character work that Nalini Singh has done up to this point, I can get into it and not feel icked out which is often the issue that I have. So anyway, all that to say 10 out of 10, I mean, 12 out of 10, I the sexy times in this, I think are the best in the series. And like, I buy it fully. Um, and then in terms of angst, I think we're gonna have to go like a, a nine out of 10. Uh, I'm afraid you're gonna leave me when you remember what my serial killer dad did to you. Um, it's pretty angsty from his side. And like, The remembrance and amnesia bit. That's another thing. I usually don't like an amnesia trope, but this one works for me too. The least thing is just selling me things in this book that often don't work for me. And I think it just delights me. So with that being said, this is five out of five. This I mean, this is one of my all time favorite books. It still is. I am trash for this book. I can understand now why it might not be a book everybody loves as much as I do, even though I think people are wrong about that. Um, But yeah, this book just still... Still, I'm going to say is my favorite in the series, Um, even if I have grown in my admiration for the craftsmanship of other books, just in terms of like what speaks to my like core story, my id, this book just does. So I'm glad that I can finally talk openly about Caleb in the way that I've wanted to, but I've been trying so hard to not spoil this for people who who are reading along for the first time. Um, And so yeah, yay. Oh, Okay. We still have so many good books ahead of us. I know this is my favorite, but there's still wonderful things ahead. Uh, next episode are two novellas for us to read. One is with Jem and Kenji from the Snow Dancer pack. And one is with Baz, who is Mercy's little brother, and his mate. So a little kind of lighter interstitial before we get back into like the heaviness of the first season kind of wrapping up, because um, Shield of Winter and Shards of Hope are both sort of about, okay, if silence has fallen, like what, what is actually what's happening now um, in the world? Like what, what's going on? So we're going to find out how things progress eventually. But yeah, anyway, next time, a couple of novellas. So I will see you in two weeks for that. You'll also be getting a bonus episode at some point with more on Heart of Obsidian. And yeah, I think that that will do it for me. So if you are enjoying the podcast, please do take a minute to rate and review. It helps other people find the show. You can find me at books like whoa, pretty much everywhere. And uh, yeah, I will catch you guys later. Thank you for joining me with this squeeze session about a book I love so much. Bye.